Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon, here with my co-host, Eric Trexler. Hi, Eric. How you doing? Hey, Rachel. I'm doing well. You? I'm doing great. It's nice to be back home after so many days away. So. Yeah, you were in Cabo. It Cabo wasn't for 12 really a days. hardship tour. Yeah, 12 days in Cabo. I, I want to hear what our guest has to say today about <laughs> Your your hellish twelve days in Cabo. Working, it was all. You know, work. I'm thinking about like Gilligan's Island without anybody but Gilligan, or, or I don't know, you know, some survival show or something. I don't think it was that bad. You had a uh, five star resort and and uh, food and water and beach and sun and fun. It must have been horrible. horrible. Uh, it wasn't horrible. It's just still twelve days is a long time away from home. I'll put it that way. Uh, but I do want to emphasize it was work. It was work. <laughs> We may have to edit this part of the podcast out because I think we'll lose some listeners listening to you complain about 12 days on the beach in Cabo. But anyway, but anyway, who's here with us? Let's get to you were, today's- You were 50 yes. yards from the beach. I when I The first day I was there and I met you, you had been there a few days, you had a painting you created and a glass of wine in your hand. I did not. Did I? I mean, it was basically the Hanoi Hilton. <laughs> You're probably not old enough to remember that stop, reference, but it, it must have been rough. Who do uh, we have today? Yeah, let, let's let's get to today's guest. So joining us today is Jared Koopman. <laughs> He's the acting executive director of Cyber and Forensic Services uh, for the Internal Revenue Service Criminal Investigation. Welcome, Jared. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. And it sounds like you guys have uh, way too much fun on this podcast. So I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> well, we, Rachel certainly wasn't having fun in Cabo from the first minute. <laughs> Jared, welcome. And I'm glad you're in the part of the IRS that I never deal with. Yeah, yeah. That's a good thing, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> Okay. I think for the benefit of our listeners, though, Jared, I would love if you can give us a quick kind of overview of what what the criminal investigation group does. Yeah, that- absolutely. Yeah, okay. sure. Sure. So, yeah, very big distinction between the civil and criminal section uh, within IRS. But uh, IRS civil is the function that most folks uh, obviously interact with when they, when you're filing your taxes or have some type of a tax issue or even uh, the IRS is, is conducting an audit of individual or businesses. Um, the criminal side, however, is is the the law enforcement arm of the Treasury and of the IRS that investigates tax violations, um, as well as money laundering and violations of the Bake Secrecy Act. So those are kind of our mission, our priorities, and that can take a lot of different forms because as you can imagine, uh, money laundering as well as taxes and really really includes the financial flow of any crime. So that could be, you know, the, the organized crime, drugs, terrorism, financing to obviously what we're going to talk about here today with some, with some cyber crime. Wow. That's a lot. So for those that don't know, I mean, the bank secrecy act was actually something new to me. What all does that cover? It sounds intriguing. Yeah, so it's really the it was really more the filing aspects by financial institutions to uh, 
um, it provide data and information back to law enforcement when there's uh, some type of suspected or known um, criminal activity trying to take place using the financial uh, uh, marketplace or financial sector, that entire ecosystem. And that becomes pretty important because they have they have a lot of visibility into that uh, into the transactions that are occurring, and when they have uh, information that should be shared with law enforcement to potentially stop threats or uh, of some wrongdoing, that that's kind of provided to us. So there's there's a whole uh, section of the uh, federal code, Title Thirty One, that oversees mm-hmm. all of the all of the Bank Secrecy Act. And and I I have a direct question for you, Jared. With with the advent of cryptocurrency, you know, are you seeing more activity? Are you busier than you've ever been, or did the adversary just move? And I say adversary, uh, but did did they just move to cyber now? Yeah, great question. And and we'll talk about I think a little bit of how that kind of uh, genesis and and evolution has occurred. But you're you're absolutely right. I think. You know, we're now just dealing with a new wave or new environment uh, that criminals are now, you know, exploiting and um, much easier to sit behind a computer and and conduct, you know, criminal activity versus having to uh, run around to different banks and to different locations. So, yeah, it's the same types of crimes. They just now take on a little new new form and and, uh, still in a new new environment. So since the beginning of time, people have been invading the tax person, essentially, right? This is just a new mechanism, new way of doing it, and we're evolving to uh, to protect the, you know, the treasury from that, right? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. So, okay. you know, we, for, for probably, uh, I've been fortunate enough to be in this position since we stood, stood it up. Uh, I was brought in to stand up this section uh, for IRSCI and, and, on the very early days, the first four, four to five years, uh, we were dealing mostly with uh, money laundering, uh, darknet services, um, some of these areas that we'll, we'll talk about. But um, in the last two to three years, we've seen an advancement toward more of the you know traditional tax tax evasion and some of the components that are now starting to um, you know bleed into the to the traditional tax uh, ecosystem. So yeah, we're 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 now dealing with that and then still trying to keep up with everything else going on. So, and you're, you're probably deeply involved in ransomware too, right? Yep, exactly. So that's, that's uh, one sub component of the, of the uh, money laundering aspects that, that we deal yeah. with. Yeah. I was reading that's- an article over the weekend, Rachel, and, uh, and uh-huh. uh, basically said, you know, cryptocurrency is probably the number one reason for ransomware taking off the way it did. It's just easy. Well, there's been discussions, right? And Jared, I'd be interested in your perspective here that, you know, oh, well, if we we just regulated cryptocurrency more, then we could mitigate the ransomware payment schemes or what have you. I don't know if that's just uh, dreamland or or what. Yeah, ransomware is definitely a, a new fraud or a new, you know, criminal act that's been created because of this, this kind of environment. Um, yeah, and I don't know how much you're going to be able to regulate your way out of that because it's you know it's criminals taking advantage of the technology um, to really exploit vulnerabilities to to lock things down and and then uh, you know require payments for that you know for that uh, that data to be turned back over. So yeah, that's uh, that's the the criminals being able to you know to 
to really leverage their their capacity. I don't I don't know what's going to be if anything would be stopping that completely. Yeah. No. But how do you trace? I mean, I guess, and I know I'm not interested in specific techniques, but I think one of the things, the idea of cryptocurrency kind of being this black box of, you know, uh, you need like a login. If you lose the hard drive, then you lose all your money. And um, But yet you look at things like Colonial Pipeline and they were able to claw back some of the ransomware that they had paid. I mean, um, so how, how can you even trace cryptocurrency payments and then and then on top of that, be able to get it back? I mean, it kind of blowing my mind that that's even possible. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And it, and it, it certainly is possible. So um, this is kind of what our whole section um, does and, and really um, focuses on is that, you know, we utilize uh, very close partnerships with a lot of third party attribution tools. And there's a lot out there and we use pretty much all of them, whether it's uh, TRM Labs, Chainalysis, CypherTrace, Elliptic, you name it. Um, they all slightly have different algorithms and heuristic modeling to, to right, make right. attribution and risk scoring and all these things. So we typically will start with a wallet address, uh, some crypto address that we're, we're working with. And that's you, that may be the only factor that we have. Um, so with that, we usually use those, those tools uh, to trace the, use those, um, um, you know, their ability to, to trace out the financial flow of that crypto through whatever possible hops and, and hops are, is a term for, you know, uh, um, one, tr one specific point of a transfer to another wallet or an address. Um, and what we're looking for is making uh, these type of connections between either a traditional financial sector or an off ramp where they may you know, change to uh, a different cryptocurrency and then uh, go through an exchange to try to cash out. You know, ultimately, these criminals have to, to get their cash or to get their, their right. proceeds in a manner that they can use them, right? They want to spend it. So we have to find that point where they're trying to access it and take it out and, and trying to use it. And that's where we can usually uh, make attribution. Hopefully, that's our goal. Wow. So in your yeah, hearing was, a lot... I was Go ahead, Rachel. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you're hearing a lot about crypto mixing. I mean, to that point, um, it's been coming up a bit more and more, I'd say, in the last six to nine months or so. Um, I mean, how does, I, I think about it as like money laundering for cryptocurrency. I don't know if I'm allowed well, to say that. Well, let's for our listeners define crypto mixing first. <laughs> yes. Yeah, if, yeah. if you could do that, Jared, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. So, I mean... <laughs> You know, to be honest with you, we, we reference the same thing is that mixing and tumbling services are, are really, you know, laundering for cryptocurrency. And, and because what it is doing is it's taking uh, usually these entities reside on the dark net or on the dark web and they have a reserve of cryptocurrency in their possession and they will facilitate like uh, actors to come to their site deposit their tainted cryptocurrency. So they have, they've done something illegal. They have cryptocurrency. Um, this is, this is the typical, there's always outliers of, of examples that don't fall within this, but um, they have uh, tainted cryptocurrency. They deposit it with this entity and the entity will give them the same equivalent amount in clean cryptocurrency minus their fee. Right. right? right. And then they have the tainted. Now they're, they're, basically responsible for trying to get rid of that tainted crypto, but now it's not in the hands of the criminal. So it breaks the chain for us mm -hmm. to follow that financial flow all the way through the, the, the completion. 
Um, there are there are folks that certainly use um, mixing services to remain anonymous for legitimate purposes. Right. Uh, however, it's you know to to what we see, it's very few and far between. What would a legitimate example be? Well, the one we always use, same thing with most of the the anonymity enhanced type activity would be uh, whistleblowers. You know, somebody that's fearful okay. for you know either payment or for information that they're trying to divulge, um, you know, they want to remain anonymous for some, some safety concern. Okay. Okay. That makes sense to me. But basically if you've seen the show Ozarks on Netflix, crypto mixing is essentially the, the brides, right? Yeah. Right. They're just not sticking it in a funeral home and a, in a floating casino that doesn't float and everything. They're just, they're doing it online. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> what do you think, Rachel? Uh-oh. Rachel wants to go back to Cabo now after that one. <laughs> Rachel, no. you disagree? No, no. I, I, you know, I haven't seen the last season of Ozark, though, so please don't – no spoilers. Ooh, no spoilers. Yeah, okay. Okay, no problem. No, I, I heard um, – what was I talking to that compared cryptocurrency to dating? And they basically said, you know, with cryptocurrency, it's like having a transaction record of every date you've ever been on. Like you can, you can see what's happened. So I, I imagine that through, you mentioned chain analysis and the like, you can still, you can still track pretty effectively even through the a crypto mixer. No. Yeah, we definitely have, uh, there's definitely ways to, to trace through mixers and, and really, I mean, to your point, if there, if it's a cryptocurrency that's, that's, uh, uh distributed on a, a public blockchain, all of that information right. captured is available. And- yeah, it's available. So there's a there's a recording and a historical gathering of all that data. So there's an immense amount of data that we can use and run through a lot of those tools to be able to 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 still trace through and have options on where to go even after a mixer. Um, so that's really the benefit of a lot of these tools and being able to kind of look back and 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 then you mix a lot of other things. So it's not just those tracing tools, but we use a lot of. Uh, open source intelligence tools and data where they're aggregating, you know, mass amounts of, of publicly available data that may reside on the dark web or on the clear web. That becomes extremely uh, valuable data to mix with the financial flow. It helps kind of go hand in hand to really paint, paint a full picture together. And that's really, you know, all of that mixed with our internal data, which you could only imagine how much internal data the IRS has, <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah. it just allows us to, to really uh, be very effective in what we do. So the analogy, Rachel, was if you and I go on a bad, a date and, and you have a bad experience, you're aware of that bad experience. But like cryptocurrency would be the equivalent of you being aware of every bad date I've ever been on, even though you weren't there. I mean, it's it's traceable. It's trackable to it <laughs> to a decent extent. And I don't think a lot of people understand that the blockchain is out there and, and you can yeah. you can trace it back many times. I, I think that's a good good point. Right. Because you do. You think it's nobody would ever know. But there are ways. Um, which so is Jared. Is, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to go in another direction, but. Uh, well, let me finish here. I have one last question around money laundering then sure. or currency laundering, maybe the better way of doing it. Is it, is it easier to do in the physical world with, with stable oh. currency, like a U.S. you know, a U.S. dollar yeah. or is it easier online? I mean, easier online seems easier, but it also seems easier to track right. than if I 
hit the local Atlantic City casino and drop a hundred grand there on the card table. Yeah, so I mean, there's there's going from a, uh, our perspective, we have visibility into into both. I mean, if you're trying to launder, you know, hard currency, USD, uh, yeah. fiat currency, you know, there's there's still the sense that you have, especially with large large amounts, you have to get it into some aspect. If it's a casino, the casinos are responsible for oversight and reporting through, you know, uh, uh, currency transaction reports. If you're trying to go through a bank, the banks are, you know, monitoring their transactions and trying to make those connections. Um, you know, uh, like you said, the cryptocurrency, you have this much easier process online. But the benefit to that is that you could move significant amounts of, of money. I mean, we've had we have cases that are in the billions that are being completed and it can be done globally within seconds. You know, right. so. You know, that's a little different than carrying around, you know, billions in cash, uh, which would not be right, feasible right. to be able to do something at, at that speed. Um, yet we have the visibility into some of the transactional details. So, yeah, there's a there's a, a payoff there. A trade off. Yeah. I mean, the cool. velocity has to be incredible. OK, Rachel, I'm good for now. No, <laughs> that's good. I'm just happy the IRS is collecting money everywhere they can when it's when it's uh, not appropriately reported and being used as a, yes. as a taxpayer. I feel good. I am one of the taxpayers who believes don't raise my taxes, just collect properly from everyone. That's I would great. put a ton of money into the IRS. I'd, I'd probably take some from defense if I could, because I think we'd make <laughs> money on that investment. But anyway, back to you, Rachel Lyon, <laughs> not well, in Cabo. That's right. Not in Cabo. Um, well, I, I really, the thing that's fascinating to me is the more explosive use of cryptocurrency and, and more for kind of mainstream. I think PayPal, I could, I could send pay, payment in crypto. I think uh, Twitter, you could buy ads in crypto and, and people are using crypto to buy some of those NFTs. I, like, I'm, I, I think I understand NFTs. I'm not sure I understand NFTs, but, um, you know, kind of what are cyber, what are the implications when you start getting into things? Because like, if you buy your own NFT, Right. So you sell your own stuff. Then how does that work from like a uh, I don't is there a criminal element there? How does I'm just trying to think all these new like ways to buy things and jack up prices. <laughs> so yeah. uh, what, what are you guys seeing on that front? Yeah. So NFTs are another interesting space because they're um, an area that a lot of folks hear, but they're not quite sure what it means or how to how it should be dealt with. Um it's funny going back to the analogies, you know, I've heard that, you know, cryptocurrency is everything we don't know about technology mixed with everything we don't know about investing. Or <laughs> you know, so. Well, that's funny at a minimum. That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. So, but to, but to your point, the, the NFTs, I mean, are non-fungible tokens and right. breaking that down just simple terms, anything, anything, both physical or digital can be tokenized, which means that it's represented by a single token. And the, the best way to think about that is like stocks. You know, if you have something and you buy a stock to something, um, you have an ownership in it, right? It could be physical, it could be a pair of sneakers, or it could be digital, like some of these artworks that we see that are sold uh, as NFTs, as artwork. Yeah, um, here's where I don't get, I, I'm just getting old because I just don't get it, but... <laughs> Well, and, and I'll, I'll give you a great example because my my uh, my kids play you know video games and things like that, and this kind of is where yeah. it stemmed from some of this digital artwork. But 
a lot of these games offer skins, you know, skins to right. play in a video game. Oh, like my God. I, I have $1,000. I shouldn't tell the IRS this. My 14-year-old has at least 1000 bucks into different skins. So yeah, I'm with exactly. you. I can relate. Yeah, exactly. His money, so not are, mine. Yeah. So those are – so the concept there is that you could create an NFT collection, and those collection could be – you know, both a investment for a collection, but then some of these uh, companies will sell the NFTs with an expectation that they're going to have a game that comes out after, or they'll have some other type of benefit that those digital art forms or digital skins or digital whatever they're selling could be used for some other benefit, whether it's a the next release on a new music album or some game that they put out in the future that you can that you're going to have like now better benefits in the game, whatever it may be. Um, now, speaking to your point, though, is that that culture creates uh, what we say is like traditional fraud to occur now in this new environment. So NFTs, one of the biggest ones we see is like a pump and dump scheme or even uh, wash trading and things like that. And I think getting to your point with like, if you're buying and selling your own NFT amongst two different accounts or addresses that People don't know you own both of them, right? but I'm just starting to pump up that volume, pump up that pricing. So I'm selling my same NFT over and over to myself between multiple different wallets and, and addresses. And it jumps from 5,000 to 10,000 to 20,000 to 100,000. Now somebody's coming in saying, wow, this looks like a great investment. It's selling for tons of money. It's increasing in price so much. I'm going to jump in and buy this for 100,000. And then all of a sudden, that's that poor individual just got taken because now they have a hundred thousand dollar investment that's worth a hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah. So you know that's that's wash trading at its simplest form, but there's a lot of other ones you know that that kind of pop up. Um, you know that where you know folks just are doing non arms length transactions or uh, trying to really. Uh, um, promote something of value and in fact they have you know they really offer nothing as part of that that uh that nft sale and then most recently we just worked an investigation out of new york um on the frosties it was a nft collection which was a rug pull where they they offered all these nfts they had about i want to say a little under nine thousand frosties for sale they were about 100 bucks each 150 bucks each so they made a significant amount of money, about 1.1 million. And then the expectation was that there was going to be a game that came out. And then your Frosties would be incorporated in the game and you got all these benefits. Um, well, ultimately, those individuals just, you know, they took off with the 1.1. It's called a rug pull. They tried to launder their money through different mechanisms, um, peel chains and different things of that nature. And they ultimately, um, you know, we, we identified them and, and arrested them to hold them accountable but those are the type of schemes that kind of occur in this space and those you were describing it oh go ahead i thought you were describing a kickstarter campaign there for a minute i've had a number of those that went nowhere they took the money and uh yeah absolutely would, yeah. would you call it a rug pull i yeah, feel like they pulled pull. the rug out a few yes. in a few cases that's right. similar that's right. though, and right? your kickstarter oh. your kickstarter ones were other crypto uh, frauds like the ico fraud and initial coin offerings okay yeah so th those are illegal and the IRS will, will go after and prosecute those also. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. When, when the intent is there to, to criminally deprive and, and uh, you know, do something wrong and money's involved, um, we're, we're kind of looking into it. 
So how do, how do you, as the IRS, and I want this to come out in the positive light here, I mean, you're dealing with a long history of, of regula regulations and laws that, are, that I would assume are pretty antiquated in this fast-moving new world we're in. How, how do you, do you have the right tools to deal with, you know, now we're dealing with non-fungible tokens, we're dealing with cryptocurrency. I don't think we've rewritten laws how do you deal with that? Is that hard yeah, or that's a, it kind of that's works? A good question. Yeah, no, it's a good question. So I think when it comes to the regulation and some of the legal proceedings that kind of follow along this space, um, we on the criminal side have the necessary laws in place because it's very ambiguous to laundering of funds or proceeds and, and uh, okay. s small adjustments have been made to what is a monetary instrument. It can include now cryptocurrency and things of that nature. Um, the taxation of different components is a separate issue and things that the civil side of the IRS is still working to, to identify how NFTs should be taxed and how these right. things have different changes, how that stuff takes place. But yeah, we feel pretty confident in having a good legal structure to, to go after these criminals. I mean, I can't imagine the first time you go in front of a judge with a criminal case and you're talking about non-fungible tokens and they're like, hey, can you uh, can you define that for me, please? And I need a law clerk here to help me understand. I mean, it's got to be bizarre. Well, that, that is a good point, because every case, almost every case I've been involved in that we've been involved in uh, in CI since 2014 timeframe is case precedent setting. Right. So you're, you're trying to bring the best okay. cases and you better have good evidence and you better have a good theory and a good uh, practice behind what we're bringing because it's setting case law for, you know, oh, infinite wow. amount forward. That sounds exciting, though. OK, it does. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Is this something that they teach in like um, law school? Is this becoming like a course that people can take? Yeah, there's actually a lot of uh, a lot of colleges are now offering uh, not only uh, blockchain uh, technology but cryptocurrency classes as well as like the uh, the legal aspects around this. So I mean, yeah, there's a there's a ton of schools and some are very uh, mature in that that curriculum. So they're they're uh, you know pushing out a lot of great um, you know students and, and graduates, and we always are looking to them for additional folks that hopefully will come on board and, and join, you know, team us government. <laughs> so, well, and the, and the good news is, I mean, they're using, they're buying cryptocurrency. They're probably paying for things with cryptocurrency. So they're, they're not coming at it cold, even That's if right. they haven't taken a degree program or a program that, that has educated them. I mean, this is kind of, to me, Rachel, you know, as, as the next generation comes up, this is just their common language, almost their common currency in some ways. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, if you talk to you talk to somebody who's seventy, they probably have no idea what an NFT is. They they may have heard of Bitcoin. I'm betting they, you know, and I know I'm stereotyping here. You know, if, if, a population set of a hundred, I, I bet a, a small handful of seventy year olds have cryptocurrency investments right now. But if you go to a bunch of twenty five year olds, I think that number's probably a little higher. That'd be my guess. Yeah, so think, they're more knowledgeable. Yeah, and I think with the you know, accessibility, like you were getting at earlier, Rachel, with like you know PayPal and Venmo and some of these other like alternative payment platforms and yeah. systems now incorporating crypto, it's just becoming more of a way of of traditional like financial uh, aspects, you know. So, and a lot of us in our and in internally to CI, a lot of us that are really engaged in this space, 
uh, you know, got into it for different reasons and, and you know, s- several years uh, when it, before it was actually more popular. So we have a little bit more of an invested interest in just kind of our development over time. Yeah. It's- Jared, what's the craziest thing you've seen? We had uh, Greg <laughs> Crab on from, he was a, he was a postal <laughs> inspector from the uh, post office. Uh, U.S. Postal Service, and and he told us this one story. We actually titled the show "One Night in Bangkok," <laughs> and it was a great story of just criminal stupidity. Do you have anything without giving us details that could take take you back to the case or anything? What's the most ridiculous story you have? Anything good? <laughs> um, well, I think I think uh, which is it is you know publicly known now, but, uh, the welcome to video case, which one of our, my good friends worked, uh, worked that investigation, which was a, uh, which was a complete dark net invest, dark net marketplace that sold child exploitation and, uh, um, sexual material. Um, we were investigating that because it was all crypto based and the criminal, actually one of the, uh, main, um, you know, needles in the haystack, as we say, was uh, him getting in a car accident and chipping his tooth and posting his photo to uh, a bunch of his friends, you know, and submitting it to the uh, to the insurance company, which ultimately gave us his his ID and attribution <laughs> from his from his uh, search warrant, you know, that we executed on his uh, his email account. So <laughs> that was, that was the, a very happy day when we identified uh, who the real who the real guy was. <laughs> so, so this guy's making, I'm assuming millions of dollars on child exploitation and he gets caught trying to file an insurance claim for <laughs> dental insurance for a chipped tooth. Yeah. That was That's one, a that good was story. The, one, yeah, one of the main ones, main ways that we identified who he was. And, uh, he was actually That's a good in, story in, in South Korea. <laughs> do the, do the, do the criminals usually do something stupid like that eventually to get caught? Well, that's, I, I got to think they do. With, uh, we're, we're hoping and banking on because that's uh, a, <laughs> yeah. no, it helps us. It does really, truly help us uh, tie a lot of things together. So we, we have a lot of things pointing at them, but then eventually they make that like one mistake where, you know, they, they didn't hide their, their, uh, you know, they didn't use a VPN. They didn't hide their IP. They didn't, you know, take the necessary measures to get on tour. They, they, different technical components that were open that allowed us to really make attribution and find out exactly who they were because i always say i say this almost every presentation but for 20 years of my career we always you know knew the individual and we're proving the crime right right now with crypto we know the crime and we're trying to prove the individual so it's almost it's totally flipped then yeah it's flipped it's completely a dynamic flip on on the way that we operate Rachel, this is why I'm not a criminal. I make so many stupid mistakes every day in life. I'd be busted in five minutes. One of the many reasons, I should say. That's hilarious. So one of the things that I'm I'm interested in is, you know, cryptocurrency, is this like, correct me if I'm wrong, is it the only global, truly global currency out there today? Uh, global in a sense of the ability to move it globally. I mean, uh, a lot of a lot of countries have different views, r- regulatory um, mm-hmm. and stances on how crypto is involved in their own traditional, you know, financial uh, markets. But um, yeah, I mean, it, globally, it's it's available and easily um, easily able to shift money uh, anywhere in the in the world within a matter of you know minutes. So when you are 
then tracing, I think, um, you know, these criminals when they make uh, funny mistakes, though, does that require some kind of international cooperation or how does that even work then when you're starting to get across country lines and different regulations? And um, as we know, sometimes uh, certain countries do like to harbor their uh, cyber cyber criminals and uh, give them a little protection. Yeah, no, good question. So it really does come down to the relationships that we build and that the, the, the uh, um, treaties that we have from a, from a global standpoint. I mean, we work very closely with a lot of countries, a lot of partners. We actually, IRSCI has uh, uh, a little under a dozen foreign posts where we have uh, special agents that are in foreign countries that work with those okay. foreign, uh, foreign agencies to actually assist on casework. And we put them in main areas where we have a lot of activity. Um, but the, those are the relationships that we build so that we can work joint cases. Uh, we work a lot of cases with like many of the Europol uh, right. agencies so that if, if, it's, if it's us that initially got the information, but we see something hitting into any Europe, European country, we're working with that country to resolve and, and to hold them accountable. Um, yeah, certainly there's countries that don't want to work with the U.S., don't, you know, uh, um, don't, um, you know, respond favorably to any of our requests. Uh, so we have to deal with that on a separate manner. It's almost some, some of them are black holes. You know, we can't get information. We can't get uh, criminals to be extradited. Um, but then there's others that we build great relationships with and, you know, we work very closely and we have a, you know, ends up giving us a, a, a far reach. Are there regions of the world, you don't have to name any countries, of course, but regions of the world that you're more active in? I, I would think Africa would be a big place where you have a lot of problems, probably Eastern Europe, but I have no idea. Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, anywhere, I mean, these criminals, um, they're either, they need a jurisdiction that either affords them the capability to commit their crime or they live in very nice areas to spend their money, right? They're, they don't want to live in a, a, a dump to, you know, make like millions. Cabo. <laughs> yeah, like Cabo. That's right. Um, but, but you know, in seriousness, I mean, they want to spend their money. They want to go out to cities, live the lavish right. lifestyle. So, you know, they're typically residing in, um, you know, more, you know, the, the first world type uh, countries that are, um, affording them that type of lifestyle. So we, we have great relationships with most of those. I mean, the ones, the ones that, uh, you can imagine we don't are the, the typical ones that we always you know hear about and deal with. Like the beachside resort I'm looking at in North Korea, probably not going to get me there. <laughs> yeah. I hear it's lovely in January. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Rachel, what else, what else do you have? I love this conversation. I know I could go on all day. Uh, you know, I mean, so when you look at the the next five years, you know, and cybersecurity is, is moving so fast and the criminals are moving so fast. I mean, what kind of keeps you up at night, Jared? Yeah, we, I always say the, uh, you know, that it's the devil we don't know. You know, it's that area that, you know, we're not really visible to that is providing some capability to the criminals. Um, what keeps us up is trying to stay on top of uh, the new advancements in technology. I mean, like I said, I got involved in this space back in like 2012 timeframe when it was really more of just an interest in, in the area. We were dealing with, you know, virtual currencies, not so much crypto yet. Um, it was there, but not really dealing with it yet. Um, to then the advancements of now where we're seeing just 
you know, these wallet obfuscation techniques and technologies for cross-chain to anonymity-enhanced coins to, you know, all this type of activity that, you know, it takes us a significant amount of time and effort to stay on top of this from just an awareness piece. Um, so it really, it, it really uh, um, requires us to not only stay sharp, bring in good folks that have like that background in the space and are interested in, in retaining that type of uh, education and knowledge base, and then working with our private sectors because these folks live and breathe this every day. You know, they're the ones that are kind of on the front line of development on technology, how it, how it is used. Um, so we work right beside them to try to you know make sure we're staying sharp as well. But yeah, it's a challenge. How do you, how do you bring people in? I mean, what's, what's the right profile for an agent on your team? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, the kind of, you know, it's one of those ones that's just developed over the years. I call them a unicorn, you know, it's a, uh, Oh boy. Oh, here we go again. (laughs) That sounds easy to fill. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's, it's somebody that has like the understanding of like the financial investigations. I mean, that's what our last hundred years, our agency has been built around, you know, being the finest financial investigators. Like it doesn't matter what base criminality, but then you have to add the technology and the crypto, the crypto side. So usually you get one or the other, you either get the tech savvy folks that don't really understand tax and finances, or you get the financial folks that don't really have the tech and and, and crypto side. So it's, it's one or the other. And we're trying to balance, you know, having both, but if you can find somebody that has all of that combined, that's uh, that's my unicorn. <laughs> and, and is that somebody who has a financial degree, kind of like you do? I mean, I, I looked at your your profile. Um, you've got one heck of a uh, a degree resume there. I mean, they, they've got a financial accounting or finance type degree, along with so, you know computer information systems or or some yeah. tech degree. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's kind of you know, if, if somebody has that type of background, I mean, we're that's it, extremely uh, uh, valuable to us because they're coming in with a complete understanding of everything we do, right? So it's like you know, you can you can hit the ground running on both the tech side and also the you know the financial components, financial investigative components. And if if they don't, how do you enable them? Is it OJT? Do you have? Yep. I mean, how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. So we we have on job training. We have um, we have we've developed built in in house like trainings around this space, mainly around the crypto and and technology space. Because everybody that's coming into IRS criminal investigation, based off of our kind of job requirements, you either have a tax or a finance background. You know, some type of background in that okay. space. So it's really the tech side that we're trying to add on or build on. So. And, and as I was just mentioning um, in the last question was that, you know, the space continues to evolve so fast that it's it's more of us trying to keep pace with it. So, you know, we, we offer trainings, we partner with the private sector to help them offer trainings, um, you know, and, and, and then trying to find good folks coming out of like some of these programs that are focused on, you know, maybe, maybe it's a financial uh, 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 background, accounting or finance background but they've taken classes in crypto and blockchain analytics or blockchain, you know, so something like that at certain uh, educational or, or schooling that they, they've taken those type of classes is extremely uh, beneficial. I almost feel like this is an area where as you come to a plea agreement or you lock some guilty party up, you know, their, their time for good time in, in prison should be educating and teaching on the latest techniques and trends that they're using. 
I don't know. Is that a stretch? I mean, it's, if, it just seems like this is so fast moving. You can't wait for the school, the education system yeah. to learn it and teach it. Yeah, no, you're, I, that would be, uh, that would be an interesting, you know, it's kind of take it the old, uh, informant type, um, you know, aspect of, you know, yeah, we'll give you 20 you, years or we'll give you uh 20 yeah. years plus four off for, uh, education and, and good behavior. Yeah. But you got to educate for 18 of those 20 years or whatever is relevant. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems right. like it would be a workable trade. Yep. Uh, okay. One last question because I know we're coming up on time. Sure. All right. Quantum computing. Concerned? Uh-oh. Not concerned? Um, concerned in a sense that at some point it will likely get here. Um, I think – you know, you got a lot of folks looking or some form or fashion of that. And I think folks are going to get there. Um, I think we're still far off, but I think, uh, I think that it is a concern because I think, uh, then it, it kind of, um, you know, breaks a lot of the encryption aspects that are really, uh, offering the security around a lot of the built components, whether it's finance and crypto to communication and secure online communication. Um, so I think there's a lot of things that, uh, you know, that, that challenges. Um, but again, I think we're, I think we're far from that, but, uh, for, for the immediate, I think, um, <laughs> but I think it is, uh, inevitable that we'll get to a certain point where technologies, uh, advances further. Will it, it will, it, will it allow the adversary though, to move faster or hide, you know, launder and hide their assets more effectively? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. That, I mean, if you're getting to that level of computing, it definitely will. And, and what we're going to have to do is then use the same type of technology to, to be able to... To find them, to, to dig them out. To find them. That's right. Yeah. And it's kind of that cat and mouse game will never go away, you know, and it's just something that we have to continue to advance. Yeah, I always feel like new technology can always be used for good or evil. And then conversely, you know, the, the defenders, yourself, the police, the FBI, whatever can use it for, you know, to help dig them out and, 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 uh, stop bad behaviors. Yeah, that's right. I mean, in the wrong hands, a good technology is, is just as bad because it's a, you know, a great example of that is, I mean, pretty much all of the dark net, you know, and everything that, you know, really stemmed from that and tour, you know, being a great platform for secure communication for the military turns into, you know, a platform for everything illegal to, to be conducted. So it's a, yeah, it's just a challenge. Exciting. Rachel, though. we've learned a lot today. I don't know, file. If you're making a ton of money, that. don't file your dental claim, <laughs> right? Figure something else out. Maybe, you know, we, we've learned about rug pulls, peel chains, pump and dump schemes. I love this. this I have so good. many new terms. Cops. I love it. I'm doing all the things. I'm going to, I'm going to go uh, meet some people for dinner tonight and just start. Dropping some knowledge. Dropping some knowledge. You'll sound cool until you tell them how miserable you were in Cabo for 12 days. Then then you'll lose your audience. Jared, what else should we be asking? What else should we be worried about? What have we missed? Um This is not our area of expertise, but fascinating. Yeah, no, you know, I think I think the only thing that's kind of hot topic right now is um, you know, the the volume that crypto is being kind of uh exploited and used in criminal activity. I mean, we've seen an yeah. infinite increase over the last three to four years, which has just been 
really staggering. I mean, it's alarming. Not, and I think part of it was, well, a lot of it is due to the increase in the value of crypto, you know, mainly Bitcoin and some of the other main coins. Um, but to that degree, I mean, we, we as an agency, I mean, saw spikes from, you know, seizing several hundred thousand, you know, in one year to 137 million to 3.5 billion. And then to date this year, you know, we're pushing upwards of 7 billion, you know, in, in seizures. And it's just, it's incredible to see that amount of criminal activity taking place. Um, 7 that, that. billion in seizures? Yeah. What do uh, you estimate you're not getting? Oh, right. That's exactly, I mean, that's why I say the double. Any don't idea? Know. No, I mean, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of talks in terms of, you know, uh, the percentage of what is it, it criminal in, in nature and, you know, it's all kind of, you know, probabilistic modeling on what that actually is. And I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm telling you, put money into the IRS. The more criminal behavior we stop, more money that's we it. make, Rachel. That's right. That's right. That's right. It's a good that's national investment. That's right. that's right. We could use the additional personnel. <laughs> It sounds like an awesome job. I'm not a numbers person, so I'd be a terrible hire for you. But uh, for the right person, that could be a lot of fun. Yeah, you, you ain't you're out, out huh? Me. You're you're done. <laughs> well, Jared, we we appreciate the appreciate the education. This has yes. been a fascinating conversation. Thank you. This appreciate. is wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. I enjoy it. It's always good to kind of talk about some of the stuff that the agency's doing and the hard work all the employees are certainly putting in so yeah we wish you the best of luck it's it's for all of us you're uh, helping us by the way I, I pay my taxes on time every single year <laughs> as i'm supposed to so if that helps in any way you can help rachel out there also and uh we will get you uh we'll try to help you on the recruiting side oh yes. yeah absolutely yes that'd be great absolutely so oh, financial mindset tech savvy blend it together have an interest in doing in serving your country that mission oriented, you know, Hey, we're, we're going to stop bad behaviors across, across the land. That's really what you're looking for. That's right. Yep. Awesome. Rachel, last words. Well, I just, I love, I love this podcast and the people that we have the opportunity to meet Jared. And I've learned so much talking to you today. It's like, my mind's like, whoosh, but it's exciting, you know, to think of all the hard work that you guys are doing, but all the, the movement that you're making forward as well. Um, so it's, it's always kind of, um, heartening to see kind of the, the pace, right. Of, of advancements, you know, for the good guys, um, you know, as the bad guys continue to move forward as well. So I'm, I'm always hopeful that we're going to get ahead of them at some point. Not happening, (laughs) not happening since the beginning of time. We've always had cops and robbers. I think the robbers came before the cops. (laughs) <laughs> I, would, I would guess so as well they have a lot more time to think about what to do <laughs> i certainly don't have a criminal ba- uh, you know ex- area of expertise in my background i had one course in college but i think the robbers came before the cops and then we needed some cops yep. so we wish you the best though rachel you want to take us home sure thing well everyone thank you so much again for joining us this week and joining jared koopman for our conversation um be sure to st- be sure to subscribe. I'm going to say that again. Be sure to subscribe. Say it slowly uh, because you will get this episode in your email inbox every single Tuesday. Uh, and you don't want to miss incredible conversations like this. You learn a lot. And who knows, you might find a new career path forward you hadn't thought about. Uh, so until next time, everybody, 
Be safe. And pay your taxes. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. 